Amen. Well, while you're finding your seat, turn with me. We'll be in the book of Psalms, the very first chapter. Very first chapter. And I want to wish everyone again a happy new year. How many of you stayed up till midnight? Oh, wow. All right. We'll take that, people who think Baptists can't stay up late. How many tried to stay up but just couldn't quite make it? Be honest. All right. Yep. I see you, Cody. All right. (laughs) Well, we made it, thankfully. I'm not sure how, but the kids drank lots of caffeine, and I think that was probably the reason why. But I love a new year because it gives us all a chance to pause and reflect on the previous year. It gives us a chance to look ahead kind of with a blank slate, a brand new year. It gives us a chance to refocus on what truly is important. And that's why I am so excited to walk through with you all this morning, Psalm chapter 1, because it has everything we need as Christians to refocus and to live for what truly is important. The first chapter of Psalm, it's called the gateway into the Psalms. The Psalms is the largest book in the Bible. It's got 150 verses. And this first chapter is really a snapshot of the entire book. But larger than that, it's a snapshot of the entire message of the Bible. And so that is what we're going to look at today. There is a clear message here, and that is that there are these two paths that we can go on in this life. There are these two paths that we can take. One path leads to salvation, leads to eternity in heaven with our Creator and with Jesus. And the other path is a path that may look good here on earth, but it leads to a very different place, to an eternity called hell in separation from God. But that's not what the world tells us, though, is it? We've all seen the, the bumper stickers that say coexist, or there are many, many routes to get to God, right? That's kind of what the, the, our society and our world tells us. But the Bible says something very differently. Our Bible tells us a different story. It starts really uh, with Romans 3.23 and knowing that we have all sinned. And as a result of our sin, that has caused separation from a holy God. And then Romans 6.23 tells us that as a result of our sin, we deserve death. But that verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So these two paths are very different. We can accept the gift of God which leads to eternal life, or we can reject that, which leads down a very different path. And so as we are here today, we all must ask ourselves, which of these two paths are we on? Individually, ask yourself, which of these two paths am I on? And we are going to take a look at this great psalm that spells out everything we need for this new year. And so stand with me if you are able in reverence of reading God's word. And we're going to read through these first six verses together. Uh, Verse 1 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, 
but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful psalm. Lord, thank you for your holy word upon it which all truth is revealed. Father, I pray that your word would break down walls and barriers that we have put up around our hearts and around our minds so that your Holy Spirit can work in a mighty way this morning. God, I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that today as we begin a new year, that that decision would be made to follow you. Lord, we give you all the glory and honor. Be with us as we work through this text. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So from the very beginning of the very first verse here, it says, how blessed is the man. Now, the word man there is, means all mankind, men, women, both of us together. So when I use the word man, know that it is plural. It means man or woman. But it says here, how blessed is the man. That word blessed in the Hebrew is ashray. It means happy, privileged, content. But it's also a plural in the original Hebrew language. So it's very difficult to translate literally into English. If it were to be literally translated into our language, it would, it would say blessednesses. That's probably not a word that you've heard before, is it? Blessednesses. But this is just like our God, is it not? He's wanting us to know that he wants to bless us with blessings on top of blessings if we follow him and are obedient to him. And, and then it says, uh, the, right here, it's going to tell us what not to do, what the blessed person does not do. And it says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Some of your translations may say ungodly. But walking here is an action verb. It means moving forward towards something, pursuing, seeking out. And who is it today that you are seeking counsel from? 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this verse. It says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. If, if your household is like mine, that probably would have been a theme as I was growing up written, written on the refrigerator or our living room wall or something to remind us who are we hanging around. Who are we getting our counsel from? Bad company corrupts good morals, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. So we must be very careful who we call a friend and where we get our counsel from because it's going to determine the next steps that we take. I love Isaiah 9-6. We talked about it at Christmas Eve if you were here, but uh, Isaiah prophesying to the children of Israel uh, Reference Christ, the one who was coming, the one, the Savior that was coming as the wonderful counselor. The wonderful counselor. Remember that word wonderful means astonishing, miraculous, amazing. That is the one that we should be getting our counsel from, is the wonderful counselor who is Jesus Christ. Because we know that the world is not going to hesitate to give us counsel, is it not? We can turn the TV on, you can flip through all the social medias, Insta, Insta Snap, 
Facegram, I don't know what all they are, but you guys know what I'm talking about. But there is so much counsel that the world is trying to give to us today. And that we must bounce off the word of God to make sure that our counsel is truly coming from the, one, the wonderful one. And here we see next, he will not stand in the path of sinners. The blessed man will not stand in the path of sinners. And we all know where sinners hang out, don't we? We all know the path or the way to get to where they congregate. A path is a way, it's a road, a direction in which to go. A righteous person will not hesitate to take a road less traveled. If they know it is not the path to sinners, they know the way to get around them so that they're not stumbled, so that they don't stumble and fall. I love what Jesus said here about this path or this way in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, when he said, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way or the path is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few that find it. Are you on a broad road today or are you on a narrow road that leads to life? And then thirdly, it says the blessed man will not sit in the seat of scoffers. A scoffer, some of your translations may say the scornful, but a scoffer is someone who mocks, ridicules, scorns, And the original audience of the Psalms would have understood this very well because it was tradition in those days that whoever was teaching or preaching or proclaiming uh, whatever it was they were teaching to be seated down. So essentially this is saying once we have reached this level of ungodliness, we are the ones sitting there proclaiming false things. But do you see the progression here? This is what really stands out in this first verse. It starts with walking towards ungodly counsel. We hear something, something that tickles our ear and we're drawn to it, so we walk towards it. And pretty soon we are standing there mesmerized by what we're hearing. And before we know it, we plop down and sit amongst the scoffers and are part of proclaiming those false truths. So it's very clear here that this is a progression. Remember, sin, when it's full-blown, doesn't happen overnight. It is a gradual falling away from the Lord that happens. You begin by walking towards, and then you're standing in, and eventually you are sitting in it. But it all starts with where we get our counsel from. Are we getting it from the great, miraculous, wonderful, astonishing counselor? Or are we getting it from the world? In verse 2 says, what the blessed man does do. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Friends, what is it that you delight in? What would you say that you would, that delights you? Is it more in watching your favorite football team play in their bowl game? Is it maybe looking up your bank account or your 401k account? Does that delight you? Or are you delighting in the law of the Lord, as it says clearly here in verse 2, that the righteous person does? And that word law can also be translated into instruction. So the instruction of the Lord 
is what it's talking about here. And we know that it's not just talking about the first five books of the Old Testament, known as the Pentateuch, the law. That's not what this psalmist is writing about. He's talking about all of Scripture is what we should be meditating on. 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17. You all know this verse. All Scripture is God-breathed. It doesn't say some of Scripture or most of Scripture or almost all of Scripture. It says all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or the person of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And you might be here today thinking, I struggle delighting in the law of the Lord. I struggle to delight in that. Well, Join the club because we have all been through seasons like that where we struggle to delight in God's word, where we struggle to fully devote ourselves to it. And there are other things that it's okay to delight in. I delight in a cool October, November morning sitting in a tree stand in the middle of nowhere. I delight in that. You don't have to beg me to get a cup of coffee every morning. I delight in coffee, and it's very healthy for our relationship that I have my caffeine, isn't it, wife? Yes. Or to sneak into the pantry and get out the little Oreo cookies with some milk, I delight in that. You all know what I'm talking about, but we all have the things that we delight in that are not necessarily bad. But what the Word is telling us here is that, first and foremost, we should be in the Word every single day. And it says you only have to be, you only have to do this twice. It says all day and all night. You see, it's easy. You only have to do it two times. <laughs> but in reality, we know that nobody has 24 hours a day to read the word. I wish we did, but we don't. So what does this word meditate? What is it really telling us? If you're like me, I can read a passage of scripture, check that box for the day, put my Bible down, and not remember a single word that I read. Because I didn't meditate on it. I didn't allow it uh, to time to penetrate into my heart. Meditation is very different than just reading it. It's just like when you smoke your favorite meat for Thanksgiving or Christmas or New Year's or whatever. You don't just pour on a little marinade and then take it over and wash it off and then cook it. You let that marinade soak. You let the meat soak in that marinade. You let it get in all the little pores and soak into the meat so that the flavor is throughout it. It is the same thing that the Word of God must be done, what we must do with the Word of God. We must allow it to to soak in our hearts so that when we get approached with somebody saying, man, I'm going through a tough time, can you help me do this? A Bible verse will come to mind that you can encourage that person. Or a coworker that's really struggling, a Bible verse will come to your mind in that moment where you can encourage them and show them the love of Christ. So meditating on the word of God is so important. And if you struggle with that, we all should be doing this, really, is pray that God would give you a desire to study his word. He is the one that will truly change our hearts. It's not us. It is him that will change our hearts. So if you struggle, pray that God would give you that desire. But do not sit here today and condemn yourself if you have not been very good in this category. 
Do not do that because there is nothing the devil would like more than to get a foothold in your life saying you are not good enough. You are not religious enough. You are not faithful enough. You haven't been in my word enough. He would love to get that into your mind and for you to think that you are not good enough. Look at the Apostle Paul. His life is amazing. You could argue he's the greatest Christian to ever walk the earth apart from Christ himself. He wrote half of the New Testament, a faithful man. But what did he write in Romans 7? He said, I am a wretched man. I am a wretched man. Why do I do the things I shouldn't do and not do the things I should do? Is that something that we've all said to ourselves if we're honest with one another? We all do things. We have a sinful flesh, and we must battle against that daily. But here's the best part. Paul went on to write in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, when he said this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He just got done telling us how wicked and evil he was, but because of what Christ did... Paul's saying, now that Christ has come, now that Christ has taken all of our sin upon himself, now that Christ did all the work for us, we can live in freedom with no condemnation. So do not let the devil spew lies at you. God is greater than any of your sin. And that word meditate, it means thoughtfully contemplate. So thoughtfully contemplate the scriptures. It changes everything when we delight and when we meditate on the word. Amen. Verse 3 says, The blessed person is firmly planted. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yield fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither and whatever he does will prosper. The, the blessed man is like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. How many of you have been to western Kansas? Okay. I know probably most of you have at one time or another. I vividly remember the first time, Jessica is from Scott City, which is way out west. I remember the first time we drove out there. I, I swore I heard banjos, and like I didn't know if I was being taken out there to die or what, but there is nothing out there at all. But what's the first thing? You get west of Manhattan, and I noticed immediately there's like no trees, no trees at all. And occasionally, you'll see a tree over here or maybe one way off in the distance over there. But the only place that you see trees in western Kansas are by a creek or by somewhere that gets a little bit of water at least. But the same thing is true for you and I. We cannot survive apart from the stream that is Jesus Christ, from the streams of water. And notice that this, this word is plural, it doesn't say stream of water. It says streams. As if God's goodness could dry up, which we know it cannot, he's got backup plans to the backup plans for your blessednesses. <laughs> There's streams of water that we don't even know about that he wants to bless us with and to keep us growing in his word. In another analogy that Jesus used towards this same point is Matthew 7 verses 24 through 27 when Jesus was preaching at the Sermon on the Mount as we know it today 
we all know the story. The wise man, what did he do? He built his house on the rock. And when the winds came and when the storms came and the waters rose, that man's house was not affected one bit because it was built on the rock. But the unwise man was not so, was he? He built his house on the sand. So when the winds came, the waters roared, the streams came up, it says it fell at the very end of that verse with a great crash. This is a powerful picture of how we will be living if we are not tethered to the rock that is Jesus Christ. We will all fall with a great crash. But verse 3 goes on to say that fruit will be yielded in its season. And this is a great reminder that life is full of different seasons. Just like we are in the season of winter right now with this beautiful snow on the ground. The same is true for our spiritual life too. You might be thinking, I am not producing fruit. Am I not a Christian? Does God not love me? Well, no, it clearly says here that fruit will be yielded in its season. So do not get discouraged if you're going through a season of trial or if you're going through something that you might not understand. Why am I going through this right now? Well, it's probably to refine you, to teach you something that God wants you to learn. But it's important for us to understand that just because you're not yielding fruit at this very moment does not mean that you are not one of God's children. In your time, you will yield your fruit. In God's time, you will yield your fruit. And it's also a good reminder that life is full of ups and downs, hills and valleys. But the same God that is with you on the mountaintop is the same God that will be with you in the bottom of the valley that you're going through. He is the same God that will sustain you through the good times and the bad times. I love what Jesus said again in John 15, verse 5, that he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. So apart from the streams of water, apart from the rock that is Jesus Christ, apart from the vine that he is. We can do absolutely nothing and we must stay connected to him. We must build our foundation upon him. And then it says, in whatever he does, he prospers. This word prosper is one of growth and progress, but not necessarily by the world's standards. God wants to prosper us from an eternal perspective, not from a worldly perspective. So you may be sitting here thinking, well, my finances are not prospering. Or my health is not exactly in a state of prosperity right now. Well, that is not what the psalmist is saying. He is saying the, the blessed one of God, everything you do will prosper from an internal perspective. So be reminded of that as you're going through difficulties on this side of heaven. That there are better days to come. And we may not ever see the fruits on this side of heaven. We might, might not ever see them. But God is aware and God knows. And then we see a transition here at the beginning of verse 4. And it says, the wicked will be cast away. It says, the wicked are not so, but they are like shaft that the wind drives away. 
The wicked are not like the tree planted by the streams of water. They are way different. They are not tied to anything. They're not tethered to the rock. They're not firmly planted. They are not connected to the vine. It reminds me of, some of you will appreciate this, the early 90s country singer. Some of you know him as the great theologian after he wrote the song, You've Got to Stand for Something or You'll Fall for Anything, Aaron Tippin. Nobody? Okay. Okay, thank you, Forrest. Thank you. All right. But this is so true. We have got to stand for something or we'll fall for anything. It is the same thing that the psalmist is saying, that the wind will drive the shaft away because it is not tethered to anything. So be reminded that we, when we stand on the rock, we are tethered to the only one that is eternal. A little wind will toss the ungodly to and fro. Any little hint of ungodly counsel will draw them away. Don't let that be you. And then verse 5 says, The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly or the congregation of the righteous. And this is a good reminder here that everyone will be judged. All of us will be judged in some way. But guess what? When you know Christ, when you have put your hope and faith in him, our judgment is not going to be like the ungodly. Our judgment is going to be based on our works, meaning that is when the Bible refers to these as crowns or storing up your treasures in heaven. We will be standing in the judgment. We will not be condemned. Our judgment will be way different. But for those that do not know Christ, they will not stand in the judgment. They will be swept away immediately to an eternal place called hell. And friends, I am here to tell you, do not let that be you. If you are unsure of where your eternal salvation lies, why hesitate? Why are you waiting with something so important? Let today be the day that you make that decision. And then verse 6, we see the destination of these two paths. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, it says. The Lord knows. The Lord knows everything. He is a loving, caring, knowing God that knows everything about us. He knows your sin. He knows the deepest desires of your heart. He knows what you do when no one's around. And it's just like, remember, again, the woman, the woman at the well. I love this analogy. After the encounter with Jesus, what did she do? She ran off so excited about what Christ had done. She said, let me tell you guys about a man that told me everything about me. He must be the Christ. So God knows, but he is a loving God. Because Romans 5, 8, despite our sin... What did Christ do while we were still sinning? It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So even amongst your worst day, the worst sin you've ever done, Christ died for you on that day. He knew that you were going to do that, but he loves you anyways. And he says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. So the world may be telling us today there are many paths that lead to God, 
But the Bible tells us that there is one that we must be tethered to, one rock that we must put our faith in, and one vine that we must be connected to, and that is Jesus Christ. And in closing here, this, this psalm, if you go back and read it, it is truly about none other than Jesus himself. You see, Jesus never did take ungodly counsel. Remember what, what he did when Satan tried to tempt him? He said, away from, away from me, Satan. He said, when, after he hadn't eaten for 40 days, can you imagine how hungry he was? Satan said, turn those stones into bread and you can eat. And he said, no, man will not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, Jesus was the one that was firmly planted to the Father's will. He never withered. He never gave up. In fact, he is in heaven right now praying for you this very moment. How encouraging is that? That the Savior of the world knows you on the most intimate level because he made you, he created you. Very specific for a great purpose. And he is in heaven praying for you. So friends... As we close this message today, I just want you to leave here to be encouraged. To know that what the psalmist wrote thousands of years before Christ came is still applicable to us today. So don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scornful. Because God has a much better plan for your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today just so thankful for all of your goodness, all of your mercy. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that has come here this morning. I thank you for their faithfulness to show up. But God, we know that it was not by chance or something random why they're here. We know that it was because of a divine appointment that you wanted to speak to them today. And so God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who does the work on our behalf, who penetrates as far as bone and marrow who's, so that we can hear a word from you. So God, if there's anyone in this congregation today that is struggling or hurting, I pray that today would be the day that they give it to you. God, that today is the day that they would put their trust in you. We try to do it on our own. And it always ends up failing. But as we see here, you have a plan greater than anything that we can imagine. You have blessings on top of blessings for us. So God, we are thankful for your goodness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.